to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer with Gene Galvin and me, I am Maria Corelli. We are recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience here in Folk School Coffee Parlor of Ludlow, Kentucky. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer! Thank you. Hey, you know what? It really should be... From here forward, Judge Jerry Springer. Don't judge me. No, <laughs> because that is totally out now. There is going to be a show starting, what, next September? Yeah. It'll go on the air of Judge Jerry Springer. So if you've seen Judge Judy, this is Judge Jerry, or Judge Mathis, or the People's Court, or all those shows. It's But this is going to be the best one. Oh, this will and be we are actually very proud of you for doing that. By the way, Ben Knight is going to be on the show tonight. Ben is our musical <laughs> guest. And we're, we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, Ben was on my other show. He, wa- he was, actually. We, <laughs> we actually talked well, about Ben pretty. Knight last episode <laughs> <clears throat> because he's a luthier here at... Uh, what? Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> we did that last... <laughs> yeah, hello. Yes. Okay. Now, I thought we agreed on that. I want a $10,000 policy. What? <laughs> Term. I, Thank you very much. Well, I'll call you back. I'm on. I'm working. we just have a discussion of taking it too far? <laughs> no, I apologize for that. That is my bad. No, I, okay, look, it's off. It's <laughs> off now. Anyway, um, so, ju- Judge. Yes. And I think we should give you the respect you're due. Well, <laughs> you, yeah, that's <laughs> You know, trust, just saying that, trust, I thought, that's ridiculous. Trust me. You we always, don't want to do you that. You always have given me the respect I'm due. No, we should give you, I, I really oh, think, man, and I'm being yeah. serious here, I think from here forward, I tried to get people to call you Councilman Springer, Mayor, Mayor Springer, or Mayor Jerry, but I really think if you are a sitting judge, you should be called judge. So I now make a commitment to calling you judge. How you doing, Judge? <laughs> Terribly. <laughs> the idea that because you, you're you are just sucking up oh, because I, you want work. You I want, want work. <laughs> I badly. I need to make some walking around money. I need to get a dignified retirement. I do not have enough quarters for Social Security, and I'm 67 years old, so I'm past. I'm past the Social Security age, and I don't yeah. have enough freaking quarters so yeah well you, you wouldn't be able to count them anyway if you think you're 67 yeah probably not <laughs> i would like to do this what if everybody listening email me here at jerry springer podcast at gene jerry that's gene spelled j-e-n-e at jerry and send me your suggestions and your concepts and be as as uh Machiavellian and as creative as you can. How the hell am I going to get? What's in this for me? You mean the judge? judge? Yes. You. What's in it for me? I can't be the bailiff because I wouldn't protect you. No, but what you could be is the defendant. Oh, now I I could be. I can get you on as a defendant. Wait a second. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be the fixer. Michael Cohen. I thought I was already the bailiff. You could be the bailiff. Right? Yeah, because you know, he needs to listen. have a kind of a demographic mix. So, you know, you need a you yeah. know, woman or a person That's of why I ethnic agreed background. To this background. You Ludlowians. Yeah. Secure the show. <laughs> we are Ludlowians. I'm not going to get on the show. 
<laughs> I want this show to be successful. Yeah, here we go. Wait, we have no we have no microphone on you, Paul, so no one can hear you. <laughs> right. Well, there's some guy over there talking who's not on mic. <laughs> they can't hear you. I hear you. Anyway, do you guys need the Paul Miller from the uh, to get him out of here? I'm just yeah. But anyway, Jerry, we've got a. I don't know. I'm. I'm just. We got. Got to figure out something. what you can do on this. I'm thinking. Hey, I got uh, contacted by Dr. Greg Schran, and he is uh, a guy who has a PhD in medieval literature. And the worthless. degree, of course, is worthless. Worthless. There are no jobs. I mean, what the hell would you do with a degree in medieval literature? You come to Ludlow, I mean, I, I don't know what you would do with it. So anyway, uh, they he contacted me and he said, may I please come on the show? He's been on before. He has a website, yeah. askthelifeguard.com. And it's kind of bogus looking. Yeah. It never gets refreshed. There, yeah. There's just some... Now remind Bull me, crap why is he called the lifeguard again? He he, he is a lifeguard. He is an actual lifeguard, okay. and that's how he makes his living. What has that so to do with seasonal work? Literature, the fact that he can't make a living, Couldn't get a job, he can't and get so he became a lifeguard. And <laughs> he thinks that people, and this has been corroborated by our own experiences, there are people who want to ask the lifeguard questions about lifeguarding and about the ocean, and even sometimes some scientific things like global warming, et cetera. So he contacted us and he said, would you contact you me? Drugs? I'm not. Want <laughs> <laughs> to know something? <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Springer comes in here and at the folk school coffee parlor and he always gets these, I call them candy ass drinks. It is espresso. <laughs> no, it's a grande it? mocha with extra whipped cream. Yeah, so I got one. I wanted to be like you and I'm all jacked up. <laughs> This is horrible. So this is, is not drugs. good for you. Do not drink these. This is <laughs> yes, your second true. one. Gene the can third. only drink decaf. Yeah, I, I'm strictly a decaf guy. <laughs> they come in here and get one of those. I'm like, what the f***? No, anyway. No, you'll have take to cut that out. Take the drink away. <laughs> we'll take it out. Hey, uh, David, call. Do you have Dr. Greg Schran's phone number. I do. Because he begged us to be on to talk about some concept, something Maybe he wants to be the bailiff. I don't know. So we'll see if he uh, see if this goes through. Be great. Please record your voice message. Along when you are finished Christmas. recording, you may hang up no, or press pound for more options. Nope. Uh, Dr. Greg Schran, this is the Jerry Springer podcast. Oh, hold on, he's calling back now. Oh, hold on, <laughs> hold on. We just gave he's his, about as professional as we Shran, are. are you there? We just gave his phone number out. There. Yeah, who is this? Oh, that's the lifeguard. It's the Jerry Springer podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey. Uh, Dr. Shran, this is Gene Galvin, and I'm joined by Maria Corelli. Say hello, Maria. Hey. And uh, <laughs> what are you wearing? Oh, no, no. And Jerry Springer. Uh, Dr. Shran, uh, you had contacted us the other day through the podcast office, and you had some concept you wanted to pitch to us, maybe we could help you on. Well, what's your idea? All right, and that was Ask the Lifeguard. <laughs>
that was his finest performance. That was good. Yeah. You still there? Yes, I am. Okay, okay we got you. We got you on the air. If What's you your? Put the top part of the phone <laughs> next to your ear. You can hear people talking. Dr. Shram, what's the concept you wanted to pitch to us? Uh, well, AskTheLifeGuard.com is forming a subsidiary, which will be a commercial entity. Hmm. And? <laughs> wow. How'd you come up with that idea? <laughs> Holy cow. Stop the press here. Being on the beach a lot, myself and my uh, agents, uh, we've noticed the need for a few products. Such as? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, uh, all our products we hope will relate to the beach, make going to the beach, uh, enhance that experience. So, uh, of course, I think everybody's noticed how many people have tattoos or ink or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's quite a mainstream thing almost. And, of course, at the beach is where people exhibit their ink. Okay. There is, yeah. however, a problem with ink at the beach. All right. What is the problem with tattoos on the beach? Those are permanent, I thought. Well, the problem is that sometimes after people get their body art, their bodies change and the designs get kind of saggy. Or the ink, the ink colors fade. So, uh, our new company. By the way, I'd be happy to reveal the name of the company. That's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> what's the What's the name of the company? The name of the company is Up Yours. Oh. All right. Now, the way we came up with that name is, I noticed one time at a party. Two gentlemen were each sharing a drink, and they clinked glasses together to toast each other yeah. and said, up yours. Okay. So I figured <laughs> that's a good name, because first of all, it's friendly, <laughs> and secondly, it's not self-centered. It focuses on the other person. Yep. Yeah, that's... Right, it's yours, not mine. So, Up Yours is Up Yours now has a new product. We are going into the tattoo business, and we guarantee our tattoos will never fade, never sag, will always be the way they looked the day you got them. All right. Oh, it sounds good. All right, we've hit. And we've, the secret is in our ink. <laughs> it's in the what? In the ink that we use. It's yeah, what a is proprietary it? formula. Uh, the CIA is very interested in it. Uh, well, someone but is. I it? hope they don't force us <laughs> to reveal it. So our tattoos will use our proprietary ink, which keep the tattoos in absolute pristine condition. And that's the way it ought to be. I've always said that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we will uh, be opening up tattoo parlors, up yours tattoo parlors. Uh, we're going to set them up on a few beaches this coming summer. But in the meantime, you'll be able to get your tattoos uh, online. 
Okay. Hey, we, uh, we thank you. We're going to watch for that. We put it on your website. We'll be looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Ask the lifeguard. Yeah. Well, one, one of those things, you know? I mean, yeah. sometimes the and, ideas are powerful. And, and frankly, I'm honored that he chose our podcast yeah. to reveal. He does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He calls us pretty regularly. Yeah. And, and if you're... Actually, don't do it as you're sitting here because it'll mess up our uh, width of the Wi-Fi band here. But go to askthelifeguard.com and you'll see he's got, uh, he's got his own website. So... Uh, it is wonderful. <laughs> All right, Jerry, wanted to what? ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what is your take? And again, people hear these in all different sequences. So this uh, put this into the context of a time period. A couple weeks after Thanksgiving and things are really percolating or maybe it played out on the southern border with the immigration policy of the Trump administration. What's your take on that? Well, it's controversial, but historically, immigration has always been controversial in American history. Uh, we have always struggled with the promise of the Statue of Liberty. I mean, each nationality and religion has had its day, whether it was the Irish, the Italians, Catholics, Jews, Muslims, it is always tense and serious because it gets to the very core of who we are. So this isn't just a new issue suddenly, this new immigration uh, wave. It's not much of a wave here in America, but the whole concern about it, historically, this has always been on the front pages. Now, last week, I got to uh, interview uh, Stuart Eisenstadt. Stuart Eisenstadt was the uh, chief domestic policy advisor for Jimmy Carter. He was four years in the White House. Then he became our American ambassador to the European Union. He was under Secretary of State. In other words, he had a lot of really top government positions. And I was talking to him about this, uh, about what he thinks of what Trump is doing with immigration. And the story that's worth mentioning, I think, is in 1979, we had the Islamic Revolution in Iran. Uh, uh, the Shah, who had been put in power basically by America in 1953, when we helped topple the elected representative, the elected leader of uh, Iran, and we put in the Shah or his family. And they had now been in power for 25 years. This is back in 1979. And uh, we had supplied all their military might. We really helped their economy. And at least on the international level, Ar Iran was a real ally of us in terms of the Cold War. It was a presence along with Israel in the Middle East that would was anti-communist, anti-Soviet Union, so Iran was considered a real ally. But as happened too often in this Cold War, we picked sides purely based on that issue, and we kind of looked the other way with, to the fact that the Shah was an absolute dictator. And over time, as inevitably happens with dictators, 
They can't deliver. The people get upset. The promises are not fulfilled. And they also notice they don't have any freedom. And there was a movement within Iran because so many of their people were, in fact, uh, Muslim. And so there was a revolution that was built, led by the Ayatollah Khomeini. And in the late 70s, they finally overthrew the Shah. And we, those of us old enough remember watching on television every night tens of thousands of Iranians in the street with carrying signs, death to America, because we were viewed as the villain as well, because we had backed the Shah and suppressed the Ayatollah and his minions and the people of the Muslim faith that wanted to have, in, in a sense, their theocracy there. Well, this was one of the major issues which ultimately toppled Jimmy Carter in his uh, effort to win re-election, because this was going into an election year. And people there were just screaming, death to America. Now, the Shah, as I said, was toppled, so he had to leave the country. And at some point... He had had cancer for some time, but kept it quiet to the world. But he passed word on to President Carter he would like to come to America and get the medical treatment he needed to survive. He was very ill. And the real diplomatic problem was everyone was blaming us for backing the Shah, and uh, President Carter was concerned that if he let the Shah in for his medical treatment, it would once again outrage the Muslim world and they would say, see America still, instead of sending him back to uh, Iran so he could face trial there, America's protecting him. And so there was a real humanitarian question on both sides, but do we permit the Shah to come in and get the medical attention he needs, knowing that there would be political upheaval if we did? Well, President Carter, against the advice of a lot of the people around him, decided to let the Shah in and get the, the, the medical help. The reaction to that was not very good over there. And as we now know, 50 Americans were taken hostage by college students who stormed the American embassy in Tehran. And for 444 days, they kept 50 Americans hostage, these college students did. And we, the United States of America, the most powerful nation in the world, couldn't get them out. And this made President Carter look weak. This made America look weak. And you coupled that together with the uh, long gas lines, the economy was tanking. I mean, things were really tough. How could a president ever be reelected in this kind of an environment? But uh, President Carter at one point did try to get our hostages out. And he sent up, there was a rescue effort, eight helicopters, a bunch of them crashed and uh, Eight Americans were killed, and it didn't work. So uh, now American people were just more than the Soviets, more than the communists, more than the Russians. America, in the press, hated the Iranians. This was our great fear now. This was our new enemy, the Ayatollah, Ayatollah Khomeini. So President Carter, wanting to look tough, ordered all Iranians in America to be, that had out, outlasted their visas, you know, stayed longer than the visa was for, he deported them, he ordered them deported back to Iran. He wanted them out of the country. 
the minority, the Iranian Jews, some Christians, and other minority religions in Iran, those that were here in America, they knew that if they went, were deported back to Iran, they would be murdered. In fact, the leader of the Jewish community in America, Iranian Jews, he said, look, I've lived in Iran 95% of my life. They know me there. Everything will be fine. And he went back to Iran, and sure enough, as soon as he got off the plane, they arrested him, uh, tortured him, murdered him, and they dragged his bullet-ridden body through the streets. So that, all of a sudden, the Jewish community of uh, Iranian Jews here in America knew that they can't go back. If President Carter deports them, they will be slaughtered. They're going to their death. And there were pleas made, made. Don't, and President Carter was taking the position, what can I do? Because the law is the law. Congress has to change it, but the law is clear. I can't just pick one group and say, you, you can stay. The law is when your visa is up, there is a hearing. And if you don't have grounds for staying, you got to go. So the Stu Eisenberg, the fellow I was interviewing, he had come up with an idea in the White House to say, let's, there has to be a hearing before you deport them, but there's no law that, because Congress wasn't going to change its law. So there was no law which said within how many days the hearing has to be held. So they figured out, well, if we don't set a date for the hearing, then they're in limbo, but at least they're not being set back. So President Carter issued a order that said um, the hearing will be held on the first day that the Shah is reinstated in Iran. In other words, that Khomeini would be thrown out and the Shah would be back in power, knowing full well that wasn't going to happen, but that technicality saved the Jews and some other minorities, and I apologize for forgetting right now off the top of my mind what those minorities were, but they were religious minorities that if they went back, they would be slaughtered. Why do I tell you this story? Compare that concern within the White House, recognizing all the political consequences of these decisions, uh, how to help the immigrants that are running away from a death sentence or torture or horrible. How is that different than the immigrants that are coming north from various South Americans or Central American countries and seeking to get in here because if they are sent back to their country, they will be slaughtered or horrible things will happen to them. Nowhere, I mean, it's laughable to think that that kind of compassion is going on in this White House. There is a way out of this. And it's not really that complicated if we go to our basic American values. Look at what happened after World War II. After World War II, Europe was devastated, obviously, by the war. All the European countries were just blown apart. Economies dead physically. The buildings were crumbling. They, they were down on their, they were on their knees. And George Marshall, the Secretary of State, came up with the Marshall Plan, whereby America invested in Europe to help rebuild Europe after World War II. It wasn't just for humanitarian reasons. It was a very practical reason that we had the Marshall Plan. 
We wanted to rebuild Europe because if we didn't, it would fall prey to the expansion of communism. So as a matter of national defense, the justification for putting all that money into rebuilding Europe was made. So it wasn't just, oh, we were trying to be the good guys. It was for America's security. So if back then the threat was communism, taking Trump at his word, now he thinks the threat to America is an invasion of terrorists, invasion of rapists, whatever, coming from these countries. So what I think we should do is to view rebuilding, helping to rebuild some of these countries to slow the flow. In the meantime, let's work out this compromise. What if we said to Trump, we'll give you a little bit of a wall. We'll put some money into a wall. What difference does the wall make? Symbolically, it's horrible, but as a practical matter, it has no. But along with the wall, we spend an equal number of dollars on hiring judges, maybe a thousand judges, maybe 2,000 judges, but who we, and I talked about this once before, we get law school graduates, we give them three months training on immigration law specifically, and then we send them all along the southern coast or wherever it, you, you have to send them, and we set up these courts that are there for the specific pur purpose of those who are seeking asylum, they can be heard right away. So those that really need it can be brought in immediately and given safe harbor. There is no reason not to do that. And also, while we're doing that, to have a convene the leaders of these countries that they're escaping from and the United States to say, how can we deal with your economic problems? How can we deal to try to rebuild the poverty-stricken areas as we did in Europe after World War II. Because this now, everyone's saying, this is the big fear. Now, if you're asking me, I'm not too worried about an invasion of uh, women and children in uh, wearing their flip-flops coming across the border. But if everyone's so scared, if all the Trump people are saying, oh, immigration, it's the scariest issue. I always wondered why someone living in Idaho is worried about immigration. You know, I mean, really, if you think about it, other than just taking a political stand, how many people in America go to bed every night saying, oh my God, I hope that immigrant has papers? I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. It's disgusting if you think about it. It's a fabricated issue. You ever fly across America? You ever look out the window? You telling me this country is overcrowded? The only reason you're against immigration is because maybe you don't like the color or the language of the people that are coming here. But remember our history, Irish, Italian, Polish, Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, every one of the groups, there was a day where you were in the crosshairs. So here's a way to do it. Trump gets his wall, we get the judges, um, people that are seeking freedom can come here and be heard, and we can live up to what we say on the, with the Statue of Liberty, and America can once again be a country that wants to help. And we're going to help Latin America instead of all these derogatory comments about them. 
how all these Spanish-speaking people are rapists, how they're terrorists, how they're drug addicts, all this stuff, when clearly, overwhelmingly, percentage-wise, more crimes are committed by us whites, <laughs> us Caucasians, than anybody else. So, you know, all these mass murderers, mass shootings here in America, how many of them are? No, they're American-born terrorists. They're in our own country, so stop picking them in immigrants. That's what I think we ought to be doing. And uh, if we say what, what we are, that we really believe in the American ideal, we will do something like this. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, we're going to bring Ben Knight on up here. Uh, yeah. Local Ludlowian. A Ludlowian. Musician, songwriter. He, uh, his band is Bill Knight. Bill Knight? Yeah, Bill. Bill Nye. Yeah. <laughs> ben Knight and the Well Diggers. Um, tell us about the song that you're, you've picked for us today. Well, yeah, so I wrote down a different one than this, but this is a, this is a new song. Um, I'm not really sure what it's about. <laughs> no need to overcomplicate things, you know. This is a, this is a, a, you know, this is a live performance. It's interactive. You can help me figure out what it's about. Uh, the song's called Peacemaker. Found me. 
I've been reaching out for comfort everywhere I've been inviting all my demons to come home with me I made a place for them to live beneath the stairs And I want to get back to making love, not making Peacemaker, please leave me alone. Peacemaker, please leave me alone. Bravo! So I heard there's another one that we did, right? We do, yeah. we, do, we do a group song here. Right? Yeah, we're going to be doing Down by the Riverside. You want but that right now? First, we want to hear about where we can hear more of those sweet, sweet <laughs> lyrics. Yeah. All right. Um, so, BenKnightandTheWellDiggers.com. I also play with a band called Ohio Valley Salvage. Uh, and I think we just released a version of that song online, if you want to check cool. that out. Great. Yeah. So. Awesome. Thank can, you. Can we mention that we in the last podcast, we talked about Ben. As a luthier working here, are you? Yeah, right. we're uh, something you can talk about, Ben. Yeah, so um, I've been apprenticing uh, with an older luthier here in Cincinnati for a little over a year, um, and he and I are as partners opening up a stringed instrument restoration shop here in the basement of the folk school. Um, we're hoping to be open by the first of the year. So, all right, that's good, good to know. You. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So you're going to pitch in for the rent. That's great. Yeah, right? That's the idea. Man. You know, it helps everybody. It's a a give and take. All right, ready? Let's go. Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Bye.